There's some things tucked away in this passage that I think are going to be a real help to us this morning. Let me, uh, let me see if I can tweak out a particular group of people here this morning. How many of you guys would be right now or in recent history relationally conflicted? Right? You know what I mean by that? Relationally conflicted. As a matter of fact, that's not foreign soil for you. You find yourself often relationally conflicted. You know, at, at work, you know, there's just frequent conflicts taking place. It's always somebody who's kind of done something and you're kind of on the bad end of that. And so there's conflict. You're coming home from work. You describe that a lot. Or, or maybe there's frequent conflicts that you're in. Your extended family, right? You're kind of the black sheep or you think everybody else is the black sheep. And somehow there's just, there's just outs. You're just frequently on the outs in your relationships with people. Uh, maybe in your own home. Maybe with your children or your spouse. There's just a relational conflict that's happening in your world. Well, there's, there's a little ingredient here in this passage today that I, I want to introduce you to. If you're a cooking person, we'll get you an illustration to go with that in just a moment. But read here with me. We're going to focus on verses 13 to 17 today in 1 Peter chapter 2. But we need a little momentum moving up to the, this passage. So let's start back in verse 9. You, believer, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy, right? This is the familiar starting place of seeing in Scripture those indicative statements, those statements where the Bible just comes and says, this is true about you. Whether you realize it or not, this is true about you. If you're a Christian, this is true about you. You are chosen. You have received mercy, right? This is a, this is a very important thing because you interpret your life through understanding this particular passage, you're chosen by God for a purpose, and that purpose is to proclaim the excellencies of God. Now, that groundwork has to get covered because where we're about to go is into some dark places where things are not going right, and you're being commanded to do something in those places. Right? So when, in the next few weeks, we're going to visit society and how it is that you live in society. We're going we're to visit your relationship to the government today. We're going to visit your workplace and we're also going to visit your home life. And then weeks from now, we'll visit the church. And in all those places, you can be experiencing conflict. You can be experiencing problems. Things can be dark and not going right. They don't feel good. You're not excited about them. Circumstances have taken a turn in a way that you didn't want it to go that way. 
It feels awkward, doesn't feel fun, it's hard to predict the future, it feels dark, it feels oppressive. And if you forget what the verse we just read, you're in serious trouble. As a matter of fact, you, there's no way you can correctly understand your circumstances if you forget the verse we just read. That you are a chosen person with a purpose in your life to show forth the praises and the excellence and the glory of God in those places. See, the Bible doesn't turn around and say that your life always has to be where the light is shining bright and everything's going well and at work, everybody's applauding you, they appreciate you, you're getting a raise, things are moving on, the company's not merging with that company, you're getting benefit here or everything's going great in your household, your family's doing well, your marriage is great all the time. See, when all that happens, somehow we get this sense that, okay, now we're down to business for the kingdom of God. Things are going well. God's at work. Do you, do you ever realize that sometimes God wants the light of his glory to shine in the darkest of places? And therefore, he puts you in dark places for that purpose. That means God might be in that bad situation at work. God might be in your marriage being a very difficult marriage right now because he intends to show forth his glory through that. How will you interpret that event? Do you interpret that as things only go good for Christians? That's how you can tell whether you're in the will of God. Or do you have a revelation from the Bible that God could put you in the darkest of places and seasons and moments and relationships in your life because he wants to do something amazing in that setting to show himself? Right, so that's a big verse to interpret your life. But then we're going to turn from these indicative statements into more imperative statements, commands, telling us what to do. Verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain. Right Now, that's a command. It's not telling you something that's been done. It's telling you something that's to be done. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. All right, so general principle here. You are a people, God's at work proclaiming himself through it. In a general way, in all that you're about, abstain from sinful passions that are still resident in you, that are going to wage war against your soul. Abstain from those things and keep your conduct excellent, mind-blowing, as we said last week. Blow people's minds. And now, here's some specific ways to blow people's minds. Verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And some of your translations will say submit to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. This is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. All right, now, then next section. Now, we won't go into this section this week, but he's going to say the same thing again. Servants, be subject to your masters. Submit to your masters. Then we skip over. Follow with me here to chapter 3, verse 1. 
Likewise, wives, be subject or submit to your own husbands. And then you keep going, and you're going to find all the way over in chapter 5, verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject, submit to your elders. All right, so go into the world, proclaim the glory of God, abstain from fleshly passions, live mind-blowing lives, submit, 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 submit. Four times. This is a big ingredient here. That word, it's the, it's the Greek word, hupotasso. I Howard Marshall says, submitting literally means placing oneself below another person out of respect that is expressed in obedience appropriate to the relationship. It may be compulsory or voluntary. Right? This word's used 38 times in the New Testament. Peter's going to use it six times in this letter alone. Four of those are direct commands that have to do with how we relate to other people. Submit, 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 submit. This, this is a key relational ingredient. I could say if your relationships are flopping, it's because this ingredient is missing. Right now, I, I have the benefit of living in a home with four women who love to cook. Not just one, I have four women who love to cook, and all four of them love to bake, which is really nice for me because I love to eat, and I love to eat baked things especially. So whether it's my wife baking or Sophie baking cookies or Carly and, and Grace will just get a, get a wild hair, and next thing you know, there's a cake sitting on, this, on the thing there, and I'm more than willing to help out in that moment. And... Uh, <laughs> So it's a really good relationship we've got going in the home. But I've noticed that sometimes there, there can be a failure in the cake world, especially, uh, because there's a particular ingredient that if you don't have now, you know, Grace isn't in here. Grace tends to be the one that sometimes will overlook an ingredient. Um, she's well-intended, but sometimes her product doesn't quite come out the way it's supposed to. And... If you leave out this one ingredient, that's not a lot that you put in, but it's a significant ingredient. It's a little thing called baking powder. If you leave that out, you, you get something that was intended to be about this tall that ends up being about this tall, and it's just kind of thick and floppy. It doesn't have that bounce to it like a nice cake does. Well, you know, when you come to relationships, if you leave out hupatasso, your relationships are going to flop, guaranteed. Because there is an element in functional, godly relationships where submission, the willingness for me to get underneath you, to serve you, for your interest to become more important to me than my own is what makes a relationship work. Right, the moment I don't have any hupatasso going on and you don't have any hupatasso, we're both fighting for who's going to be superior, who's going to be on top, not who's going to serve the other one. And that's the nature and basis for conflict. And so here into this passage, Peter brings us into what it is that makes our relationships sing for the glory of God, what makes our relationships mind-blowing 
is that we have this ingredient in the recipe of our relationships. Everywhere we go, because this is not just a church-wide relationship. It's not just in your home. Right? He's careful to put submit, 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 submit everywhere you go. It's like he sprinkles it everywhere you go. Whether you're relating in society, whether you're relating on the job, whether you're doing it in the church, whether you're in your household, submit, 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 submit. All right, so let's look first at what we're doing here as it pertains to society. And I'm going to focus our attention on the government because that's what's being highlighted here and give us some insights. What's the Bible say about us submitting to the government? Human institutions, right? These are institutions that have been created, and we're going to learn from Scripture that God has been in them being created, and even though we've got some cautions about them. All right, can I just say this before we get into any teaching on submission? There is a qualifier, and I think I put it in your outline here. I'm not going to spend time on this. It's an obvious qualifier, but sometimes it does need some helpful explanation. An understood qualifier in all biblical submission is this. We are never to submit to something that requires us to sin and disobey God. All right, can I just say that first so that no one will be arguing with me the rest of the message? Well, what about, well, what about, well, what about, I understand. Every once in a while, something in authority is requiring you to sin and disobey God. That does happen, but it's usually rare, quite honestly. Usually, you're seldom being asked by an authority to sin against God and disobey what he has said. So to take something that seldom happens and make it the governing rule for why I have a hard time with authority really is problematic, all right? But it does need to be said. In whatever hupotasso moment you're having, you are not called ever to submit to something that causes you to sin against God and disobey what he has said, right? So that is an important thing. But what's the Bible say about our relationship with the government? Well, you know, we see some things right here. Be subject, verse 13, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Look, look back in Romans chapter 13 for a moment. Peter gives us an insight into relating to the government. Paul gives us a little more of an insight, but he sounds almost exactly the same. He uses the same word, hupotasso, to describe our getting underneath, being in submission to, elevating somebody else's decision above our own. Right? That's what he's describing here. So in Romans 13, verse 1, let every person, hupotasso, be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. All right, does that surprise you? Does that surprise you to hear that? That the Bible is, is taking ownership of ordaining institutions that you and I know there's some problems with some of these governments out there. There's some problems with our government. We've got problems with our government, don't we? I mean, there's a, there's a huge industry out there in the entertainment world that, 
that the basis for his existence is problem with the government. He just changed the name of most of these complaint-oriented radio programs to problem with the government, problem with the government in the morning, problem with the government in the afternoon. The dude with problem with the government, the woman with problem with the government. I mean, it's just a whole basis of the program is complaining about the government. Okay. So we hear that. As a matter of fact, I dare say there's people in this room who, who spend more time listening to Glenn Beck and Rush Limbaugh than you do in the Bible. And those dudes aren't standing up and saying, uh, hey, today we're going to talk about the government that was established by God, ordained by God, and from God. You know, they, they don't start their program with that. They start out making you feel like the one thing we all need to get rid of is the government. And so if you don't read the Bible much, you don't realize that's not how the Bible sounds. What a surprise <clears throat> to come across this in a day and age when if you wanted to complain about the government, whoo, you'd have some reason to complain about the government in the first century A.D., right? There's some real issues going on in the world. But this, this is a little bit of a challenge for us. Do you recognize that when God says this, because he says in 1 Peter, says it here in Romans 13, that God is saying that he ordains puts in place, makes use of, has as part of his plan institutions that are weak, that are fallen, that contain sin, that are run and led by sinners who will make decisions that are deceptive, self-serving, at the expense of others. Now, now do you... Do you have a mindset that says God does stuff like that? Because every, every setting that you're called on to submit to is going to be a setting where you can find a reason in the fact that the people you're submitting to aren't godly. They're not godly. They're not making godly decisions. People at your work. Not making godly decisions necessarily. The people in the government, not making godly decisions. Your husband or your wife, <laughs> not making godly decisions necessarily. So, but what do we do with that? The moment the government goes ungodly, the moment your husband goes ungodly, our response is to, is to think, well, <laughs> I don't have to submit to that. That's not God. <clears throat> no, you don't have to submit to something that calls on you to sin against God. But some sinner who has a bad motive and comes up with a bad idea that doesn't call on you to sin, just calls you to submit, you do need to submit to that. You cannot use the idea that if there's fault or weakness or error or ungodliness in those who are in positions of authority, I have cause and permission not to submit. Because every one of the things that we're told, submit, 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 submit in this, bi- in this book, every one of them are weak, fallen, broken, don't work right. And yet God is saying to submit to them. So we want to create a category where the Bible really does call on us to submit. Look, keep reading here in Romans 13, verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? 
then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. All right, so it's not my intention to go into too much depth in this element, but can you just see some concepts here that, that maybe we leave alone? Um, I know it's sort of the hippie movement, the hippie Jesus concept. It just has this nonviolence thing to it that kind of isn't really biblical. And so it's sort of like all the policemen shouldn't carry guns. You know, guns are evil and violent. And when I read that passage, I see God ordains guns. God ordains the fact that he gives in society a means of restraining evil. And those dudes carry a sword, and they carry it for a reason, because there are some people who the only thing that's going to stop them is a sword. And God has ordained it because he knows just how evil evil can really be. The problem with everybody who wants to do away with all forms of those kinds of restraint is they have no idea how the Bible depicts evil people are a whole lot more evil than you're giving them credit. Sin reigns in people's hearts. They are capable of horrific things. And some of them might need to meet a gun or a sword to stop them. And God has ordained that. Yeah, but there's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of bad things that go on. Yes, there is. I'm with you. I agree with that. But in principle, do you understand? God has ordained that there would be people in our society that would restrain evil. And that's behind God's plan. Verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing, right? In other words, there's stuff the government does that taxes create the means to pay those who do it. For this reason, you pay taxes. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. All right, did you know that God was for you paying taxes? Now, I know you might not. <laughs> yeah, there was no amen on that one. <laughs> amen, brother. Woo, preach it. Um, I know you won't get that from Glenn Beck. I know you won't get that from conservative talk radio. God's into you paying taxes. That can be done wrong, and that doesn't mean we shouldn't have a voice in government. We shouldn't try and make government run a certain way and shouldn't give our money away to frivolous things. But if you encounter frivolousness in government, neither does it give you permission to say, I pay my taxes. What those people are doing? Okay, do you, do you think they were doing everything right when Romans was being written? Do you think when they came to Jesus and they said, good teacher, tell us, is it lawful for us to pay our taxes to Caesar? Now, that's a, such a loaded question for a bunch of reasons. Because of, because of Caesar's corruption, because he was a Gentile, because he thought he was a god. I mean, you got some problems here with this dude named Caesar. Is it all right for us as the people of God to fork over our good money? 
To this guy here, do you know what his soldiers are doing out there? Do you know how they're extorting people and raping and stealing, killing people unjustly? Is it okay for us to pay our taxes to this guy? He thinks he's God, for goodness sake. What if I pay my taxes? Does that convince him he is God? And Jesus says, yeah, render to Caesar what's Caesar's. And Paul turns around and says the same thing. Pay your taxes. Even if the government does things that you disagree with? Yeah. See, do you understand? It's not like that catches God off guard. He ordained governments that would be in the hands of sinners. It's not a surprise to God. There is a kingdom of God exists in heaven, and its taste of it has come to earth. But don't expect the kingdom of this earth to be the kingdom of God. So those running the kingdom here are not like those who will run it in heaven. You don't have any of these corruption issues and selfish misuse of laws, etc. But you will have that here. And God knew that, and then he tells you, pay your taxes. So none of this, this, is, this can be a challenge to one's conscience when the government does things that you just strongly disagree with. But you need to be guided by biblical principles on how we respond to some of those situations. Um, somewhere it would be good for there to, to be a balance between how many Christians find themselves moving into the government discussion. Uh, at one end of the discussion, you have a, a, an ignoring of government, an uninvolvement of government. The, the church has nothing to say in the governmental realm and uh, avoids any contact with government and policies and legislation, etc. Then at the other end, you have a presentation that sounds like uh, if we could reform the government, then the, the whole world could be saved by that. So the savior complex, when we associate legislation and reform of government to accomplish something that you and I should never be hoping the government will accomplish that. Government's not ordained to save the souls of men. You understand, you live in a reformed government. You want to compare your government to the Roman government? You ever heard of the Bill of Rights? It's a pretty cool thing. If you were a Roman and you read the Bill of Rights, you'd be blown away by such ideas that you have within the government. The way in which people were treated and extorted, murdered by the government... Right, there was elements in which the government of Rome probably would have looked more like something Saddam Hussein was running. Right, so do you understand you live in a reformed government? The government you and I have is vastly reformed and improved from that one. And how much righteousness is that produced in the land in which you live? The government can't produce righteousness in people. But it's not wrong for us to participate and seek to shape the laws of government for the sake of the kingdom of God, for the sake of common grace, that God does want to shape morality in this world. As a matter of fact, I didn't know that John was going to be here this morning, but there's a, there's a bill coming up this week, right, John, on the legislative floor to be debated on the floor on Tuesday that is, going, is seeking to redefine the origins of life. And it would put us in a position as a state to challenge Roe versus Wade. And it would be a law that protects and defines the, the life of the unborn and gives personhood 
to that life. Instead of waiting for the birth of that child, it would give personhood to that life, which would grant all kinds of rights and protection to that child, which would turn the abortion industry upside down in this, in this state. Yes, you can applaud that. John, are you presenting that bill? It's his, I know it's your bill. Are you going to be presenting it on Tuesday? All right. Well, we want to be praying for John as he goes to Baton Rouge. Uh, what time on Tuesday? So anywhere from 3 to 6 o'clock, Tuesday afternoon, uh, if you're capable of, of going up to support and being a part of helping the laws of this land to benefit from the wisdom of God, right? the laws that don't protect the unborn that are in our land, they are harming people. Not only the lives of the children, but the lives of those who are involved in decisions that are being made to destroy their lives. And so this is an opportunity where the church does have an opportunity to shape the world in which we live. And we should seek to do those things. We should be an influence in our society. Right? When you and I are called to minister to people, you'll notice in the Bible, it's a ministry of body, soul, and spirit. And Jesus fed the poor. I mean, he healed physical bodies. So, so there's a ministry that the church brings to the world that includes body, soul, and spirit. So we want to minister where we can minister legislatively and governmentally. But we also want to recognize that the great ambition and mission of the church is, is not to reform governments. You wouldn't find that in this passage. We're about to be introduced next week to passages on slavery, and there's no mention of reforming slavery. And I praise God we live in a land today where there is no slavery in this country. That wasn't the case in Rome. But neither was it even Peter's agenda to address it that way. But there was a proclamation of the glory of God in slavery that he sought after. It was a dark place. It was a difficult place for people. But he said, even though you're in a dark and difficult place, let the glory of God come as you submit to ungodly slave owners. That's mind-blowing. Well, if you're a slave owner and you've got a Christian who you're mistreating unjustly and he respects you and honors you, it's going to blow your mind. Right, that's the kind of thing that we're called to. That's the kind of submission that this passage is about. All right, what's to be the believer's attitude toward these institutions? Wayne Grudem says, God has established such patterns of authority for the orderly functioning of human life. And it both pleases and honors him when we subject ourselves to them. We submit to them. Nor should we think that the need for authority is only due to sin. For there is authority among sinless angels, the redeemed in heaven, and even the members of the Trinity for all eternity. Right now, most of us think that authority and submission kind of all came in with the fall, right? There was just this, this different thing going on before the fall. Well, now, a couple of points. Let me clarify in your outline. One, the fall did not create authority structures. What the fall contributed was our resistance to authority structures. When you read the Bible, there are authority structures in place that God created. Right, the first thing the devil does in coming to tip men in the garden, 
is telling him to get out from underneath authority. You don't have to submit. That's the, the nature of the first sin, was to appeal to your interest above another interest that you are not, right now submitted to. And then, of course, the response and their reasonings were about gaining their independence so they could do their own thing. See, the, the nature of fallen sinfulness is to not be submitted. I don't want to be submitted. I want to do my thing, my way. I don't want you telling me what to do. You know, what's interesting is when we come in contact with submission, that word submission, quite often our concern is about those authoritarian people who are making folks submit. Okay, listen, when you come to the Bible, do you know that there's a bigger problem than that? Oh, sure, there's some bad apples in this bunch. But the bigger problem is that the nature of fallen humanity is you ain't the boss of me. I would dare say that there's a bigger problem with submitting than there is with those who force submission. you got some who are authoritarian and terrible, but all of us have got this widespread, I'm not going to submit. I will not submit. And then there's something that creeps up in us, right? We're all for government as long as government does what I tell it to do. We like this person, like that person, and the second they color outside of our, our lines and they don't hold to our positions, and we've got to submit to that, oh, no, ah, uh, no, nah, uh-uh. You know, we're fine. We're fine in all relationships as long as you do what I tell you to do. <laughs> but the nature of submission is for me to put your interest above mine. So I'm, I'm getting underneath you. And I don't like to do that. It's inconvenient. It makes me adjust. It forces me to live a pattern of life that I don't feel like living. But it's the nature of what we're called to. All right, invariably, any discussion, I think I put this in your outline, the mention of submission finds its way into the wife-husband category. And in this modern culture, isn't there just some kind of a little sand in the ointment right there? Something just rubs you the wrong way. Oh, women having to submit. Just, you know, chalkboardish. You know. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, what's the deal with that? Right, we when here, out of the box, Peter's gonna say, Hey, church, go blow the minds of the world with the life that you live. Submit, 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 submit. Really? And we have this idea that submit, oh, who the heck's I, what caveman came up with that idea? It's in the Bible. And it doesn't sound anything like that in the Bible. Matter of fact, it sounds winsome and attractive in the Bible. As a matter of fact, it's in the Godhead. Oh, please be careful before you call this a stupid idea. You do realize Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are filled with submission. The Son submits to the Father, empties himself of his glory, and takes the form of a man and walks around saying, I can do nothing except what I see my Father doing. Really? You're the God of creation. You're the one who created it all. And you can do nothing? You're, you're restricted? you got to be kidding me. Boy, what a, 
What a bad deal Jesus got in that deal, huh? What was he thinking? Where was his attorney when that thing was drawn up? Is that, I mean, do you ever go there? You don't ever go there, do you? Well, you know, I'm thinking who really got the shaft was the Holy Spirit. At least Jesus just had to visit. Holy Spirit's got to live with us on a permanent basis. <laughs> you want to talk about a bad marriage, man. Whoo! He don't get to go home, nothing. And, and he's submitted to that. Do you think that's unattractive? Do you think they argued in heaven? I ain't going, you go. I'm going. I already went. You go. You know. See, they didn't see, they didn't see submission like it was a booby prize. Oh, you're better than, what are you saying, you're better than me? I got to go? I mean, none of this stuff is in the Bible. Submission in the Bible is attractive. It's, it's, it's a godly characteristic. And it's not just for wives. Right? There's four categories of submission here. One of them is going to be for wives. But we're all called to have a, that ingredient in us in our relationship with others. John Grove says, it is because we respect and obey God that we submit to all that he has instituted. We obey all God has instituted unless it clearly contradicts his revealed will, for it is God who we are really obeying. This is the fundamental argument for submission to husbands, parents, church leaders, employers, and governments. They are authorities delegated by God, and our submission to God will result in our submission to them wherever possible. Right? Submission is a good thing in Scripture. And then according to Peter, go back to Peter there, what happens when this submission occurs? Verse 15. But this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Right? Who were accusing Christians of all sorts of unlawful things that they were doing. But you can put them to silence, not for the purposes of shutting them up, but according to this context, that they might be one, that their minds might be blown, and they might see something of the glory of God and give glory to God on the day of visitation. That's the context of how we can win people through godly submission. All right, verse 16. Notice here now, he moves from submission in our relating to others into this statement. Live, verse 16, Live as people who are free, right? You're submitting as a submitting person. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God, right? We're still talking about submission here, but all of a sudden there's a discussion now about freedom, right? Now, why, why do you go from submission to freedom? Well, because submission touches my sense of autonomy, Right? I think of freedom, I think of autonomy. And f submission touches that because all of a sudden now something about you is restraining something about me. So it makes sense to me that his next thought is to go from you're submitting into the realm of how do you feel about that? How does this touch your freedoms as a person? Right? Look at this quote, Wayne Grudem says, the kind of freedom meant is not specified 
But certainly the great freedoms of the Christian life are freedom from the impossible obligation to earn merit before God by perfect obedience, freedom from guilt, and freedom from the ruling power of sin. Though free in a greater way than anyone apart from Christ can ever be, Christians are still, in another sense, servants of God or slaves of God, for they owe him their whole lives and their entire beings. Therefore, as God's free servants, Christians should never use their freedom to cover up or hide wrongdoing. Freedom must result in the great joy of doing right. Those who would live as servants of God have different obligations to all men. Right? Where does your definition of freedom go? Right? Does it release you from any sense of responsibility to others? Responsibility that would bring some form of restraint. Because the second I place myself under anything, that thing provides some boundaries for me. And that's the part I don't like. I don't like boundaries unless I get to determine them. And I usually push them out so far that they're beyond anything that I want. <laughs> but yet I'm called into submission here. Howard Marshall says, Redemption here is understood as a change of master rather than as the conferring of absolute liberty. Right? Now be careful how we've used this term freedom. And you don't have to go far. Right? I did a little homework for you. Freedom in our culture. Right? If you pulled out a th uh, an English thesaurus, you get these words to substitute for freedom. Liberty, autonomy, lack of restrictions, self-determination. Right? Those would be the words in our language we would substitute for freedom. Listen to the Encarta Dictionary's definition. Ability to act freely. A state in which somebody is able to act and live as he or she chooses without being subject to any undue restraints or restrictions. Now, does that sound like the Bible? Now, recognize, though, this is, this is where most of us here, honestly, we're more American than we are biblical. So we take our definition, our working definition, which sounds like that, of freedom, and every time we see freedom in the Bible, we bring our definition with us, and we say that's what the Bible's talking about. It's talking about this unrestrained, no boundaries put on me lifestyle. I'm free. That's what freedom is. And that's what freedom in America is. It's not what freedom was in the Bible. Freedom doesn't sound that way in the Bible. It's a, it's a freedom, but not like the definition that we're using for freedom. I paraphrase of verse 16. Live as people who are free, as servants of God. Right? There's, a little, there's a little interruption in his thought here if you just follow the grammar there. Live as people who are free, and then he interrupts his thought and he comes as servants of God. So your freedom is connected to being servants of God. Now, how many of you know you just now got underneath something? A servant is one who is underneath someone else. A servant is seeking his master's will to be done in his life. So freedom involves the will of another in your life. Now, now have you thought about it that way? Because when I think of freedom, man, freedom for me means nothing touches me. Nothing hems me in. No expectations, no borders. I just, I do what I'm going to do. That's, I'm free. But freedom in the Bible is freed from some things in order to be a servant of God. 
Right now, I want to highlight something here that might be helpful in this whole discussion of freedom for Christians. And that would be the Bible's careful handling of the term freedom. Right? We take this term off the leash. It's kind of like what we do with the word prosperity. We take prosperity off the leash and we let it go wherever we want it to go and let it gain its own definitions and its own usages. And next thing you know, Christians are after prosperity and they're not even after God. They're not even after the kingdom of God. They're not even after the glory of God, but they're after prosperity. Uh, no, prosperity belongs on a leash. You know, all this pumping Christians up about how you can get more money, how you can get more money, how you can get more money. I've always just been bugged by handling money that way because when the Bible handles money most of the time it's in the form of a warning very seldom is it about have it have it have it it's usually about be, be careful don't be unwise watch it right so you get that same thing with freedom here there's no just freedom freedom dispensers come get your freedom uh, no, no, there's carefulness here, right? What we find in this passage, live, verse 16, live as people who are free. First thing, I'm going to mention freedom, I'm Peter, not, he's going to immediately go negative on us, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Now, Peter's not alone in this, right? In your outline, look at those verses real quickly. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, Paul does the same thing. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Right? Paul no more gets the word freedom out of his mouth and he puts a leash on it. He says, man, do not let this thing fly around unguided because you will go in a bad direction with it. He must know something about us when he writes these passages. Romans chapter 6, verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And that word under is the word hupo, from when we get hupotasso. Right? So you are under the law at one point, but you're no longer under the law. You're no longer submitted to the law. But notice what it said next, though. You are submitted to grace. So you're still underneath something. As a human being, you're either under the law or you're under grace, but you're under something. Right? Freedom for God does not mean complete unrestraint, nothing's touching you. By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. Now, do you see this? Every human being's underneath one of two things. You have either submitted yourself to the law and to sin, and so therefore you are a slave of sin. Or you have submitted yourself to righteousness, and therefore you are a slave of God but you are a servant of something. Your freedom never means you're not a servant. And if you're a servant, the very nature of that word means someone else is calling the shots. Someone else owns your life. So 
Well, how is that freedom? It's exactly the freedom you were created for. But you understand, you go back to the original creation, man was never intended to be autonomous from God. Never. The realm of his greatest joy and freedom was going to be as the garden had created a relationship where God was his life. Sin came in and disrupted that. So don't think that now, okay, well, now God's great agenda is to come into our lives and give us complete autonomy from him and everything else. No, if he's restoring us to anything, he's restoring us to him. And we're servants of God. Therefore, God has something to say over our lives. Jude 2, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Right, so to deny the mastership, the lordship of Christ is ungodly in this passage. Right, so here's sobering thought. We move to a close here in just a moment. Apparently, we will face temptations and challenges to manage our freedoms. Right, so question for you. Are you aware of and paying attention to your real vulnerability to take your legitimate freedoms in Christ in the wrong direction. Right? Every time the Bible mentions freedom, it reaches out and grabs it real quick before it gets too far away. And it puts a qualifier on it. Be careful. Right? So you know, okay, well, we're, we're free. Okay, listen, go back to this verse is framing for us the Christian life. We're, we're free to proclaim the excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness. We're, we're free in this realm of abstaining from fleshly passions that wage war against the soul and living exemplary, mind-blowing lives amongst the world. We're, this is the context of that freedom. So if, if you were to survey your life, are you taking the word freedom and somehow ending up with a life that associates you with passions of the flesh where you feel this freedom is, is an opportunity, a freedom to indulge something of the flesh. Does the practices that you've said, well, I, I've got freedoms. I've got this freedom that God has given me. I'm, I'm under grace. Okay, listen, <laughs> under grace? I mean, what, what do you mean by under grace? Do you, do, you, do you mean nothing guides you? Do you mean I, I'm, just, I'm just released by God to make decisions without any form of restriction? Well, how do you make sense of the rest of the Bible? A person who's under grace is called to submit, 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 submit. The guy who's called to submit, is he no longer under grace? Yes, he's under grace. Under, under grace means servant of God, living in the freedom of being in relationship with the king of glory to proclaim his glory. Listen, some of y'all need to be thinking for a moment here with me because your life has somehow used the word freedom and grace to let you cozy up against things that sound more to me like fleshly indulgence. And, and somehow you've rescued yourself from the awkwardness by telling yourself you're under grace, a freedom in Christ. Okay, you, you don't have American freedom in Christ. You don't have 
complete autonomy to do whatever you want to do with your life, that's not the freedom in the Bible. As a matter of fact, that's going to end up being bondage to yourself. You're going to be in bondage to those decisions. Now, now is, is, are your freedoms leading you to be a greater slave of righteousness or a greater slave of sin? It's a good way to figure out whether or not I'm yoking myself correctly to things, associating myself with things. Are your freedoms leading others around you to be a greater slave of righteousness or a greater slave of sin? Listen, there are some of you who who need to be so bugged by what I'm saying right now that you either get right with God today or you get up and walk out right now. Because you've, you've taken freedom into a destructive category. It's not only destroying your life, but you sit by and you involve others and let it destroy theirs as well. Stop calling that freedom. That's not freedom. That's not the grace of God. You're not under the grace of God when you do that. And under the grace of God person is a guy who's submitted to the kingship of Christ. And that king cares about those people laid his life down to purchase them so that their lives might proclaim the glory of God. Is that activity proclaiming the glory of God? It's not in your life and it's not in theirs. Then somehow you have misappropriated what it means to be free to experience the grace of God. Wayne Grudem says, the verb translated abstain there in 1 Peter 2.11 means to keep away from, avoid And its present tense gives the sense of continually keeping away from sinful desires. Do not let yourself indulge in them at any time. Such a command implies that inward desires are not uncontrollable, but can be consciously nurtured or restrained. A needed rebuke to our modern society, which takes feelings as a morally neutral given and disparages any who would say that some feelings and desires are wrong. There are some desires in you that you just need to say no to. They're not God's desire for you, and you need to abandon them. Now, let me go ahead and have you come back up. Look at this thought here with me. So we're going to move into life for a second here. Freedom in verse 16 is first, listen, this is, this is good news. I know I'm sounding heavy right now, but this is incredibly good news. Freedom in verse 16 is first a freedom from myself that would enable me to be submitted to someone other than me. Can I read that again? In this verse, right, this verse talked about being submitted. It talked about the greatness and the excellence of God. And then it mentions freedom. Freedom in verse 16 is first a freedom from myself that would enable me to be submitted to someone other than me. A freedom that would allow me to fulfill 1 Peter 2.9 rather than to only seek my own glory and pleasure. That's where this freedom goes. Mind-blowing activity. And that mind-blowing activity finds its clarity. Remember last week? We keep reading in the person of Christ. For to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you as an example. And then we get his life set out before us. Let me get you guys to think of this verse through with me. 
Here, this is, this is what this looks like. Philippians chapter 2. We're into the command zone of Philippians here when it says this. Do nothing, verse 3, from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's the very nature of hupotasso. Listen, that's the ingredient that makes your recipe for relationships work. The willingness for me to put your interest ahead of my own. That's what makes marriages work. That's what makes friendships work. That's what makes work relationships work. That's what blows people's minds. And it's what Christ did. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Anybody think Jesus wasn't free right here? He was doing somebody else's will. Would you dare say this, that, wow, somebody needed to explain to him how to get free, man. That sounds oppressive. That sounds controlling. Well, this is God's glory on display. I don't think we want to critique it. I think you just want to be amazed by it. Verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why are you a chosen race? chosen people to show forth the glory of him. How do you do that? Submit, 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 submit. And do not hang an ugly label on that word. It's a beautiful word. And the ability for you to submit, you know what that screams from your life? It screams that you have been set free from you. I don't know what you find a hard time with, but I find the hardest thing to be free of is my wife. I I mean, is me. (laughs) She probably would get the impression that that's what I believe sometimes. That if, oh, if she'd just get right, then my whole life could get right. No, no, Keith. Your big problem is you. You can't get free of you. And the problem is you're married and you don't get to do what you want all the time. And you think that's her fault. No. And listen, husbands, there is a, there is a proper role in Ephesians 5 of submitting to one another. I know that the ultimate authority, the wife is to be submitted to her husband. But see, relationally, we are called to abandon my own protective life and to submit myself to what will further yours. 
We want your relationships to be amazing relationships. Just add a couple of teaspoons of hupatasso and watch your relationships take off. Let's stand up together. I just want to pray for you guys in closing this morning, but I, I want to include two things in this prayer. You remember last week, if you weren't here last week, you're kind of missing something that's very critical to all these passages. These are all actions based on what we learned last week that's in the middle of these verses. The looking to Christ, to seeing him. See, it's, it's seeing Christ. When I lead Philippians 2, I mean, doesn't that inspire you? Don't you get a sense of, you know what, you know, submission, that's kind of a difficult thing. But when I read Philippians 2 and I see the beauty of it in Christ, something in me says, that's right. And I want that in my life. All right, so two things need to happen. One, you need to look to Christ. You, you cannot have a distant view of Christ through a set of binoculars that you seldom pick up and think you're going to do this stuff. You need to have your mind blown by Christ before you're ever going to do much mind-blowing living. All right, the other issue, and this is where I want to pray for you, this is where I want to pray for us this morning. I can think of no greater need for power in the Christian life than for me to get set free from me. You don't just need information for that. You need power. You need the power of God in your life. So I want to pray for us this morning. I want to ask God to, to meet us in those two categories to help us in this. Lord, thank you for the way in which your word often unlocks our lives. Let's just see. Lord, I, I trust, I hope, I pray as a pastor. Lord, that the mystery of conflict in our lives, the mystery of why we just don't seem to get along, why our lives seem to have so much relational dysfunction, would meet wise biblical insight this morning. Well, quite often, it's simply a matter of I don't add the right ingredients. I'm not a submitted person. I'm not a person who's willing to, to give up my own will, my own way, my own plans, my hopes for the future. I'm not willing to give those up for anybody. Not my wife, not the church, certainly not the government. Oh God, this morning, we need you to do something that's beyond us. We need you to set us free from us. Lord, we have seen the enemy. The enemy is us. Lord, this morning we pray for grace. Lord, I thank you for the power of your spirit. Lord, I thank you this isn't just some cute phrase, me getting set free from me. It's a reality because it was for freedom that Christ set me free. Not some autonomy where I get to do what I want to do all the time. That's more bondage than I would ever be able to tolerate in my life. But Lord, what you've given me is a freedom to live as your servant. A freedom to welcome you as my Lord. A freedom to look to you and to be able to posture myself like the submitted son of God and to say, I can do nothing except what 
a freedom to see someone else's life and need as more important than my own. So much so that I would lay my life down and have nails driven through my wrist and be obedient even to the point of death so that God's glory might be seen through my life. God, by the Spirit, with the power that dwells in us because you dwell in us, with the amazing power that's in us because the Spirit of God has submitted to being in us. Lord, motivate us this morning. Interest us. Capture us. Give us eagerness. Lord, give us a loving affection for this word. Hupatasso. Submit. Oh, Lord, let us see it as a doorway into freedom. God, let us see it as a source of blessing. God, let us not resist it as though it's doing us a disservice. God, let us run toward it. Empower us, Spirit of God, to not fight for our own territory at the expense of fulfilling a much higher calling to show forth your greatness. Oh, God, let us see you and let us be empowered. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I bless you guys. Have an awesome week.